All right, news roundup and information overload hour. Sean Hannity, show 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, we went over in great specificity and detail last night what happened with an unmitigated disaster as it relates to Merrick Garland, the the attorney general. I mean, when you have, for example, Tom Cotton saying, you know, looking into parents as domestic terrorists and that the letter is shameful, judge, it's shameful, and your testimony, your directive, your performance is shameful. Thank God you are not on the Supreme Court, and you should resign in disgrace. And that was only the beginning of it. And then he got into it with Ted Cruz, and then he got into it uh, with Josh Hawley, and so, who said, all I can conclude is either that you're not in control of your own department or that more likely what I think is the case is that you knew full well that this is exactly the kind of thing that would happen, which, by the way, he needed to be called out on. Anyway, let's uh, listen to Senator Mike Lee. He went after him pretty hard also. You were asked your factual predicate for your October 4th memorandum and for your conclusions in this regard. You answered before that committee that your factual predicate for that was the October 22nd memorandum from the National School Board Association. The National School Board Association has has been mentioned has since withdrawn that memo, and yet you said that was the factual predicate. Given that that was the factual predicate and that it's rescinded its memo, saying that there was no justification for some of the language that they used in that letter, will you rescind your memo? Uh, Senator, I, uh, best of my recollection, I said that the impetus for the letter um, for my memorandum was that letter and also uh, reports. Um, of, of this kind of activity. What reports? I said again that uh, at the time that they were news reports um, that had um, uh, been published and I think that uh, some of the other senators here have described some of those news reports and we've certainly seen subsequently more news reports and more statements by board members of threats to kill them. Okay, that has not been the main, that has not been the average parent in any way. And he then goes on basically to deny his own memorandum from his own Department of Justice and then doesn't have any desire at all, show no desire to rescind it all. We're talking about parents that are complaining about critical race theory and age appropriate education for their kids and and issues involving uh, COVID-19 protocols. This is a simple local police matter, assuming you didn't defund and dismantle your police department. Senator Mike Lee joins us now. Thanks for being with us. Uh, thank you, Sean. It's good to be with you. We always appreciate you uh, coming on the program. All right. Let, let's start with what this really is and why this is so dangerous. And what did you think of Mer Merrick Garland's weak reaction and response yesterday? He wouldn't defend his memo, and yet he wouldn't rescind it. But he wouldn't defend it because he couldn't defend it, because the factual predicate is lacking. Later on during that same hearing, he essentially admitted that he can't identify a single incident in which a school board member has been threatened recently by a concerned parent. Now, when you make that kind of admission, when you can't back up your previous assertion to the contrary, you really should quit while you're ahead, especially when the one memo you did rely upon has itself been withdrawn. By the way, Sean, one of the things that bothered me most about this, I sat there during this hearing and I thought through the timing of all of this. The, the National School Board Association issued its letter on a Wednesday, the 29th of September. The following Monday, when Merrick Garland issued his memo in response to it, 
incorporating its factual assertions, lock, stock, and barrel, as if they were true, which they were not. That happened within four days, over one weekend. You know, as a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, I have oversight responsibilities over the Department of Justice. I send requests for information to them all along, all the time. It takes me two or three months to get answers in many instances, and then I'm considering myself grateful if I, in fact, got a response at all in that time period. The fact that these guys were able to get an answer in about four days over one weekend, to me, suggests that there was a whole lot more going on behind the scenes. These groups have, of course, been bragging for weeks that they had been lobbying people in the White House. I think that's exactly what happened. This is well, a, what, well, but Senator, why would it surprise any of us? Because we know that the the NEA, the teachers unions, for example, rather, they they wrote some COVID policy themselves at a direct revolving door to the White House. Yeah, uh, that's deeply concerning. Now, the fact that they have influence is one thing. The fact that he's willing to utilize that influence and not uh, question it in the way that he's supposed to allows for the political weaponization of the Department of Justice. I find that deeply troubling. This is uh, something that I didn't expect from Merrick Garland. This is something that I didn't expect from someone who has uh, a long, fairly distinguished career as a judge. Uh, uh, should know better than that. And this is shameful. What he's doing, really, is threatening moms and dads, parents, who, together with their neighbors, show up at a local school board meeting. Those people are not domestic terrorists, and yet he's treating them as such. That's shameful. Let me move on, because uh, I thought you all did a great job yesterday. Uh, so we know Joe Biden on his way to this big climate summit uh, in Glasgow, I guess he's headed to, uh, goes to meet uh, early this morning on Capitol Hill with the Democratic caucus. Apparently did not go well. Bernie Sanders, you know, leading the way, saying he is not satisfied with the climate provisions. Uh, we have one story out even by fake news CNN and that is that the progressive wing of the, I should say the Bolshevik wing, really, uh, of the Democratic Party. And there's a lot of really hardcore left-wing radical socialists. Uh, but anyway, that they're apoplectic about it. Uh, you got the chair uh, of the progressive caucus uh, telling reporters she doesn't believe the framework rolled out this morning is enough to secure a vote on the infrastructure bill. So it looks like the whole thing is collapsing. I mean, where does it go from here? To me, like it's starting to collapse. The Democratic majorities in both houses are dissembling, and it's very good news. And it looks to me like there are some things contributing to this. We've got depressing economic numbers, a soaring cost of goods and services, mounting data that government spending is to blame for that inflation. And then you've got a few of the more moderate voices in the Democratic conference that appear to have forced President Biden to walk back his latest monstrosity. But, you know, truthfully, Sean, this bill isn't much better. It's got a $1.75 trillion price tag. It's hardly a bargain. And it keeps many of the most damaging tax provisions and social restructuring programs. Here's the thing, Sean. Ron Klain, you know, the White House chief of staff, yep. bragged today over Twitter that this deal, even as paired back, this shows how silly it is to say it's only $1.75 trillion, that this deal is still twice the size in real dollars as the New Deal. Uh, so, look, the Democrats' goal is clear. They want to fundamentally reshape American society, move us in the direction of socialism. That's something that the American people don't want, can't afford, and it's going to hurt the poor and middle class the most. 
Well, I saw you made an entree, apparently, fairly publicly, to Joe Manchin to switch parties. Have you had any conversations with either him or Kristen Sinema? Oh, I've had countless conversations with both of them for a very long time. I've known Joe for 11 years. He and I were elected to the Senate at the same time. I've had countless conversations in which I make clear to them all the time. Water's fine. We'd love to have you in our conference. Come on over. That, of course, is up to them. But look, it's it's sad to me that the Democratic Party is so hell-bent on building government when government is itself the problem. Government is itself making everything more expensive. Government is itself creating these roadblocks to upward economic mobility. We've got to overcome this thinking that says that we should applaud and we should congratulate members of Congress who uh, just agreed to print more money while making ordinary Americans poorer. What was your reaction? Because the people that are bearing the brunt of this economic downturn and the high cost of fuel in particular are poor Americans, middle class Americans. And it's having a deep impact on on the economies of, of every family at home. Jen Psaki's reaction is, well, America's spending habits are the cause of our economic woes or, you know, the the nonchalant way that they they go about lecturing us that we should shop for Christmas uh, because of supply chain issues in October. Uh, oh, you're not going to get 15 colors to choose from. Oh, too bad, but at least you'll get something. It sounds just like Jimmy Carter telling us to lower our thermostat and put on our sweater. Government is their god, and they have imagined this idea that um, America, the country, is the same as the United States government. It is not. It is um, uh, the government that belongs to the people, and they imagine that anything we do in government is the country. They confuse the two. And I talk about this uh, all the time, the fact that uh, the American people really own their own government. It should be theirs. It shouldn't be dictating to them. And our country is so much more than its government. We shouldn't be spending money that we don't have. It harm, harms them. I talk about this all, all the time on my website, by the way, at, at com. And uh, it is important to remind people of the fact that whenever government acts, it does so at the expense of individual liberty. Whenever government spends, it does so at the expense of the poor and middle class. You know, it just is one of those things. Now, from my way of looking at this, this I, I got to imagine something's going to come out of it, but maybe not. I mean, the idea that the progressives, and I said this last night because it appeared that all of the entrees were made by Schumer, Pelosi, and Biden to to moderates, if you want to even say they're moderate, I think they're pretty radical left myself, Manchin and Cinema. Um, but they they totally seem to have ignored the progressive caucus and what they would do. Now, either they, I felt that 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 the squad and and the Bernie Sanders of the world would would get very angry, or they would just take it. And I I, I leaned against that they would take it. Uh, because they've been the most vocal, and they seem to have the most power and control over the entire Democratic Party right now. Here's what has me worried, Sean. Um, my fear is that if at the end of the day do, they do reach a deal, and if somehow Manchin and Cinema and others are able to say, well, it's only $1.75 trillion, so it's not as much as 3.5, so we'll vote for that. We'll overlook the fact that in some ways, as devastatingly dangerous and reckless and cruel as these spending levels are, in some ways the very worst parts of the bill will have been hidden. Parts of the bill that would 
really amount to a backdoor invisible repeal of the Fourth Amendment. This provision that would allow the IRS to snoop into every bank account without a warrant is reprehensible. And yet this one, under the terms of the bill, doesn't cough anything. In fact, this provision, uh, according to the scoring devices, actually provides money, even though it makes every American poor, and even though it circumvents the Fourth Amendment. This is about fundamentally remaking American society. You should beware of any president who says he wants to outdo, out FDR, FDR, uh, because that is, is not a path toward liberty or prosperity. Well, I don't think we really hear a lot about liberty and prosperity. More with Senator Mike Lee, Utah, as we talk about the disaster, which is build back better new Green Deal socialism. For the Republicans moving forward, I mean, they've got their own problems. I mean, after two months of every Republican in the Senate saying that they would stand firm and not raise the debt ceiling, well, 11 of your Republican colleagues buckled, you know, 48 hours uh, within 48 hours of the deadline, and they, they gave the Democrats an extension. Why would they do that? That was really unfortunate. Uh, those who did so uh, always reluctant to speak for them. I, I suspect if they were with us, they would say they thought it necessary in order to avoid any risk of the filibuster being nuked. I don't think the filibuster was going to be nuked anyway. And if it, if it were about to be nuked, this wouldn't have been what stopped it. No, I, I think that was uh, an unforced error. I think it was a mistake. And I think it's an especially big mistake to raise the debt ceiling. Is it, is it going to happen again? I mean, is this just, you know, part of an ongoing pattern? You know, for example, we had 65 show votes to repeal and replace Obamacare. When the moment came and it would have mattered, uh, Senate candidates voted for a straight repeal. Seven senators, Republican, changed their vote from an, a year earlier. You know, they weren't yeah. ready with a plan to replace Obamacare. And yet they had 65 show votes in the House. This is why we need to continue to hear from constituents who love liberty and are skeptical of government over and over and over again. And we need to hear, with regard to the debt ceiling in particular, we shouldn't be voting for a debt ceiling increase without putting in place some sort of structural spending mechanism that will make it unlikely that we'll be right back in the same position a few months later. And look, the, in this instance, it's particularly egregious. It was particularly inexcusable for Republicans to assist with this debt ceiling increase because the Democrats are just going to use it to spend trillions of dollars more in in their big, bad bill. Uh, they, they want to call this the Build Back Better deal. It's, it's, it's a New Green big, Deal Socialism. Yeah, well, it's the end of America. Uh, it's the greatest wealth-producing economic system ever designed by mankind uh yeah let's just blow the whole thing up uh senator lee we appreciate it mike lee of utah 800-941 sean is our number we're going to get to your phone calls when we get back that is uh straight ahead i right, 25 till the top of the hour we'll get to your calls here in a second so yesterday i was saying all right where where are all these squad members where's the where's bernie sanders where are all the progressive wing the you know the the radical left New Green Deal Socialism wing of the Democratic Party, which heretofore had been in control of all things Democratic Party. They set the agenda. And now that this this build back better new Green Deal Socialism is is being beaten to a pulp. Uh, I was saying yesterday, oh, looks like they're going that the squad is already converted and they're now part of the Washington swamp. That is until today. 
as squad members left and right. Bernie Sanders also. Joe Biden, before he takes off for this climate summit in Glasgow, uh, goes and begs people to support his bill. It apparently did not go over well. Uh, a lot of the things that the progressives thought demanded be in the bill now have been stripped down. And the people that have been spoken to the most are people like Kristen Cinema, Joe Manchin. And it seems like Pelosi, Schumer and Biden have spent all their time with them. Well, now they're having a deal with the squad and, you know, the, this radical new green deal. We want to ruin America's the, the greatest economy the world's ever known. The wealth creation capital of, of mankind, which has been the United States. And anyway, so Nancy Pelosi gives a very jittery, nervous presser earlier today. And listen to what she says about the encyclopedic knowledge of Joe Biden. This is a joke. This is quite remarkable. And if you took any one piece of it, it would be transformative in a start. Taking together, it's quite a spectacular vision that President Biden has put forth. I salute him for it. And when I try to, shall we say, make a case for this or that, he says, you don't have to tell me. I wrote it. I know the particulars. And that was what was so demonstrated this morning. His his meticulous attention to detail, his encyclopedic knowledge of what, everything that was in the bill. Uh, this, we're really blessed with his leadership. Okay. You could say a lot of things about Joe Biden. That's not one that's believable. It's that simple. Anyway, let's get to our uh, busy phones. A lot of you very, very patient here. Uh, Levco from Lev- California. What's up, Levco? How are you? I'm doing all right. Hanging in there. Um, well, I was just curious. How would we get out of this mess? I mean, it seems like the youth, especially in this state, are so far gone. I mean, you can't go anywhere in the state without having the marijuana smell everywhere. Nobody wants to work. By the, by the way, that I mean, putrid smell, and, and I've not been spending any time in New York City at all. But, I mean, for years, I mean, that skunk, disgusting smell is everywhere. I hate it. Oh, it's disgusting. And it's everywhere you go around here. I mean, even driving down the street, cars pull up next to you, and it's blowing out the windows. It's just. It's a mess. This whole country is a mess. Well, the answer, I'm going to give you the short answer and then the long answer. The short, the short answer is if you don't involve yourself, you're never going to save the country. That's the short answer. It's got to be all hands on deck. Everybody's a spoke in the wheel. The long answer is you've, you've got to get election integrity measures in your state. And the next thing is, is you've got to mobilize and make 2022 and 2024 the year that we get America back on track by electing people that support America first, make America great again agenda items, low taxes, less bureaucracy, uh, choice in schools, law and order, conservatives, constitutionalists on the bench, uh, people that believe in free market solutions for health care, uh, energy independence, secure borders, the rule of law, peace through strength, trust but verify. I mean, that, 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 those are the people you got to elect. If you don't elect people that believe that, this is what you're going to get. And yeah, well, I'm deputizing thing, everybody now. If you really don't like where we're headed, the only way you're going to stop this is a year from now at the ballot. Well, see, it's hard in this state. It's hard because the elections are so corrupt and they got so many illegals. I mean, everybody's voting in this state three or four times. I mean, it's almost like the election. Well, not every, listen, California and New York are just lost entities. I mean, it's just sad because, you know, California, for the first time in its history, 
is losing population. It speaks volumes that if you take a U-Haul out of California and go to any other state, you know, like Texas, it's 2500 bucks To bring it back from Texas to California, you're doing U-Haul a favor. It's like three or 400 bucks. That's all you need to know. People have left. They've decided they, they're not going to put up with it anymore. And the same thing's been happening in New York as well. I'm not saying New York is an international city. It's not going to collapse, but it's never going to be what it once was, in my view, because it's so far radical left. I don't know. It's important. Anyway, thanks, Lefko. Uh, Kevin, South Carolina. What's up, Kevin? How are you? Hey, Sean. This is Kevin. Um, I appreciate you taking the call. Um, We talk about the people leaving California. Um, You know, they did the census in 2020 right before COVID. And since then, there's basically been like mass exodus from from places like New York and California, and they're moving to the to Texas and Florida, and North Carolina, South Carolina. I mean, and I've been hearing some redistricting, kind of like lawsuits and stuff. But I mean, it looks like we're going to have some major over representation in some states and under representation in other states. Is Listen, the the census Democrats are going to do what they try to do all the time, and that's draw districts that favor them politically. Um, And Republicans will try and probably do the same as well. if We're going to be completely honest about it. And but the bottom line is, you know, we've got to have accurate counts. I mean, you know, going back to when they were taking the census, why do you think the Democrats, they, they want to count people that are not in this country legally? You know, how many times now have they tried to sneak in through the reconciliation bill amnesty for illegal immigrants? I mean, it just we have something of such great value. I, I believe in immigration. I support legal immigration. But you have to respect our laws, our borders, our sovereignty first and go through the process the right way. And we shouldn't be rewarding people that cut the line and don't respect our laws on day one. Um, you, you know, it's fascinating to watch country. other countries sell their citizenship for massive amounts of money. And Democrats just want to give it away to people that didn't even won't even respect our law. Um, I think there are plenty of far better, far more deserving people. If you respect our law and do it the right way, you should be in the front of the line. <laughs> you know, people that just come in and, and totally disrespect the law and break the law. I don't think you should reward law breaking. And that's what Democrats are doing. You think it'll affect any of our swing states or what you would predict as being a swing state on the next? Well, we know that the that like a state like yours has lost, uh, I think, one or two seats. I think New York lost a seat. Um, Yeah, I I think over time, especially, you know, we could have a a pretty big impact. The only thing I say is, look, if you're if if you're from California, New York, New Jersey or Illinois and you're going to move to South Carolina, the people of South Carolina are great, just like the people of North Carolina. Or if you're going to move to Florida, or if you're going to move to Texas, these are great people. Don't bring your dumb liberal policies from that destroyed the state you're leaving. Don't bring those with you. It's all crazy. I appreciate your time greatly. Welcome to my world. It is crazy. Uh, 800-941-SEAN is our number. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, Dale is in California also, the United Socialist Utopia. What's up, Dale? How are you? Hey, Sean. Good to talk to you again. What's going on? Good to talk to you. Uh, well, yeah, the $600 amount that the uh, Biden administration and Democrats are trying to squeeze in, claiming that a smokescreen that it was to collect taxes, the, that number bugged me. And a lot of people were 
were it was bugging them, and then they capitulated and said, "Well, we'll take it to ten thousand. That's already law. Ten thousand gets reported." But I think I figured it out, and I think your cousin in Florida would agree. To buy a decent semi-automatic handgun or rifle, you're going to spend six hundred bucks or more. The Democrats would be able to use the IRS to create a national firearms registry through the back door and avoid the pro- prohibition of it in the 1986 Gun Control Act. I, look, in my mind, this is so intrusive. It would be the roadmap to basically spy on every single American. And it's not just the Second Amendment. I think it's much bigger than that. And, you know, remember, the the first, the first bite at the apple was every $600 transaction. Okay, then they said okay, there was negative reaction to that. Then they said, well, if you make $10,000 a year or over 10000 then we'll monitor you. Well, I, even if you're on public assistance, you make it over ten grand a year. So they, they want that there is your database. You would be able to get into and figure out the life, the spending habits, the lifestyle of pretty much every American. You know, listen, there are reporting requirements now. I make sure... You know, because I do deal a lot still with cash. I'm just old fashioned. I like to carry cash around. And so I should should I be announcing that, Linda? That's probably pretty dumb, right? But anyway, I still like to carry cash. And, uh, you know, because I like to tip a lot. I like to take care of people that do nice things for me. And, you know, I'm just nice to be able to do stuff like that. Uh, But long story short, so if I'm going to take out a lot of cash, I'll take out a ton of it. I want I want sirens blaring so they see it. And this way, there's no question. It's my money. I should be allowed to take it out of the bank. You know, the strange thing is, if you're taking any significant amount of money out of a bank, you actually have to order it half the time. I mean, I've had to do it. But, yeah, they'll intrude into your life. Uh, James in Missouri. Thanks, Dale. James, how are you? Doing well. Uh, I just wanted to call and let you know that not all trucking companies are doing excellent through this whole situation. Uh, My industry, for instance, the, the camper industry is is suffering tremendously uh, between the parts shortages and the fuel cost. Uh, fuel has went up from $2.10 a mile to, or a gallon to uh, $3.99 a gallon. Well, let, let me let me put emphasis. I have friends of mine, very close friends in the trucking business, and so I know that I'm very aware, acutely aware of, of the dilemma you're facing. But you're right. The biggest challenge is if you don't lease the truck, you have two options. You can lease or buy. And if you don't lease the truck, like if you lease a truck, for example, they have to have a replacement truck. I think within 24 hours was my understanding from a friend of mine. But if you if you own a rig or you work for a company that owns the rig and your truck goes down and the supply chain uh, makes it such that you can't get the part, you know, in short order like you normally would, you're, you're down for an extended period of time. You're not making money. I agree. That's a big problem. Yes, and you know it's a supply chain of the parts for the for building the RVs as well. Uh, I mean, shoot, they've got orders that are back ordered for three years now. Uh, I, I've got a dealership that you know handles uh, 250 units a year. They're down to about 150 wow. because they can't get the units because they can't build them because they don't have the parts. It, it's a, it's it's, it's a very, very scary. Now, on the other hand. The higher cost of diesel, that's being passed on to the customer from the guys that I talk to. In other words, you're not getting paid less per load. As a matter of fact, because of the shortage that you're identifying, the 
people that need transport are willing to pay more now because the trucks aren't as readily available. So, right. you know, the truck drivers that have trucks that are on the road that are rolling are making more money than usual. That's what they've been telling me. Well, yes, in in an in an essence, but uh, like uh, for instance, October of 2020, we moved we moved 36 units to a dealer. Uh, October of 2021, we moved 12. Wow. So therefore, you know, I went from eight eight drivers down to two. Is um, this your own company that you're running? To tell, hey, I'm sorry, I I, I can't keep you working anymore. Well, let me ask you a question: Is this your own company? You own eight rigs. Uh, it's my own company. I don't own the trucks. I actually do uh, owner operators. I actually lease them on. Okay, so you you ten ninety nine your drivers, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, from my understanding, is the work is out there, but you got to have a rig that's working. And right. you know, you're putting a lot of if they're, especially if you're driving coast to coast, and you know, you're putting a lot of miles on that rig. Something's going to break at some point, and if you can't get a spare part, it's down and out, and you have no other option. What do you do right. at that well, point? Well, my truck was down for three months. Uh, Jeez. Here, uh, oh, just three months or four months ago, it was down for three months. It sat in the shop for three months waiting on parts, and I had to go out and buy another truck. I didn't have a choice. I mean, uh, the freight has to be moved. I have to move it. Well, you know, this country literally dies without you guys. And I, I can't put everything we buy comes from a truck. And I hope people appreciate the difficulty and your job and what you do every day. And I hope you're able to get this worked out. Um, it's sad because you're talking about somebody wants to work and work hard. You think it's easy to drive coast to coast every day? It's not. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. A disastrous day for Joe Biden. I need this deal done before I head to Glasgow. Didn't get done. We'll have an update with Chad Pergram on, on Capitol Hill. Peter Ducey traveling with the president. Glenn Youngkin, I'm hearing from anecdotally that all late deciders are breaking towards him over Terry McCullough for following that. Kellyanne Conway, Leo 2.0 Terrell, uh, Reince Priebus, and our pollsters, 9 Eastern Hannity on Fox. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tonight. Back here tomorrow. You make this show possible. We never forget it.